This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to worship you and to honor you together corporately here as a church family. We just thank you so much that you truly are great. Father, our hearts do sing of how great you are, and I pray that our hearts continue to sing that throughout the day, throughout the week, God, as we just stand in awe of who we are, of who you are, God, and how much you love us, and I thank you, Father, that you would help us to continue to worship you in our hearts, Father, as we dive into your truth, God, as we learn more about you and how we learn how to grow in our walk and our relationship with you and how you truly do satisfy We thank you for everything. We love you in Jesus' name. Church said amen. 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 If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this title down, Rest in Relationship. You can also follow along on the YouVersion app if you brought your iPad or your tablet or phone or whatever and you have that uh, YouVersion app, you can download uh, that uh, from the App Store and just follow along by clicking live and searching for an event in your area. Make sure you take advantage of that tool. Uh, I'm grateful that we have that and I appreciate it. Uh, Gary for putting that together for us every week. And uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to the book of John and uh, the 21st chapter. Book of John, 21st chapter. I, I think a lot of times when we begin to follow Christ that we have this sort of culture that we adhere to as Christians. We come to church, we say certain things, we do certain things, and I think a lot of times what can happen is that we can say certain phrases or do certain things and we have no idea what that really means. And we may have a kind of an idea of, you know, a definition maybe, maybe a personal definition that someone's either showed us or something that we've kind of formulated in our own mind thinking, well, that must mean this, but we continually say these things not really fully comprehending what that means or what that looks like. And I think one of the phrases that we use a lot in Christian circles that that applies to is having a relationship with God. Oh, you need to have a relationship with God. You need to know Him more. And we say these things and they sound right and they are right, but we don't really know what those things really feel like and look like. And so we have an idea of kind of what that means. Well, I guess that means I'm supposed to have all my presets on my radio in the car at a Christian station, and that's a relationship with God. Or doing a daily devotional, well, that's a relationship with God. I I guess coming to church, that's a relationship with God. And I don't really have a clear definition of what that means. And so because I don't have a clear definition of what a relationship with God is, I don't know if I'm really doing it or not. And I don't know if I really have it or not. And so because of that, I'm never finding rest. I'm never finding the satisfaction in Christ. I'm never finding the satisfaction in Him being more than enough and in Him being enough because I don't know if I'm doing it or not. And I want to talk to you today about how you and I can find that rest in relationship with a holy and perfect God. John chapter 21 and verse 15. This is after Jesus is had uh, breakfast with his disciples. And they're all sitting around talking. And Jesus picks Peter out of the crowd to ask him a very pointed question. And you remember Peter, right? The disciple who got really zealous for Jesus when they tried to come and arrest him. And he took a sword and he whacked off the soldier's ear. You know, the guy who said, you know, I'll never deny you and ends up doing it three times. You know, Peter, the guy 
who was very zealous for Christ. Jesus looks over to Peter and he says this in John 21 and verse 15. He looks at him and he says, when they had eaten breakfast, he looks at him and says, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He looks at Simon Peter and he, he asks him, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? In other words, Jesus wasn't asking Simon Peter, do you appreciate what I've done for you? Do you love the fact that I've come here to die on the cross for your sins and to make you right with God? Do you love me because... No. Do you, do you love the fact that I healed that blind guy back there? Do you love the fact that I raised Lazarus from the dead? Do you love the fact that I... No, he's saying, Simon Peter, do you love me? He didn't ask Simon Peter if he was interested in what Jesus had done or could do or what he was going to do. He wanted to know, Simon Peter, do you love me? In other words, he was saying, Simon Peter, am, am, am I enough for you? Because if you love me, the person of Jesus Christ, if you love me, then that love is going to compel you to do something. And he said, and that's to feed my lambs. He said, you're going to be compelled by this overwhelming love that you have for me and this relationship that we have together. It's going to drive you to do something. And he said, feed my lambs. And then he asks him again, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And I guess the question that I want us to ask ourselves today, and I want you to write this down, I want you to think about it. Because this is one of those questions that we can quickly dismiss as like a real surface level thing. But I really want us to be honest with ourselves. Do we value Jesus more than anything? Do we value Jesus more than anything? We would automatically say yes. Do you value Jesus more than anything? Well, yes, praise the Lord, bless God, hallelujah, of course I do. I love Jesus more than anything. And then we would, proceed, we, we would continue to talk about how much we love Jesus because of what he's done. And we would talk about how, well, he saved my, my soul. He's done all of these things for me. I'm not asking you how much you know about Jesus. I'm asking you, do you love him more than anything? Not just what he's done. Because how many of you know that even though the cross is wonderful, even though the crucifixion of Christ definitely made us right with God, it wasn't the goal, it wasn't the, the, the thing that he was just going to do was just die on the cross and that, that was it. No, he died on the cross to get us to the ultimate goal of having relationship with God. Amen, somebody? That's why he did that. Not just so we would appreciate him dying on the cross, which we should. We should definitely thank Him and appreciate Him for that. But our relationship with Him should span beyond what He's done for us. Because the purpose of Him doing that for us was to connect us to relationship. Because you and I were created for relationship with God. We were created to worship God. Matter of fact, when everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden, God made man and woman, and He had all of these wonderful things that they could enjoy but as wonderful as those things were, nothing compared to them walking and talking with God in the cool of the day. Nothing compared to their relationship with God. They were appreciative of the trees. They were appreciative of all the beautiful things that they had before them. But nothing compared to just being with Him. All of those things were supposed to point to Him. I love living in Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is a beautiful state. And I drive home every day 
and I drive past the, the river park there, and no matter what season it is, river park always looks beautiful. I'm, one of my favorite things to see is when there's snow all over the ground and, and, and the, the, the river there is frozen and sometimes you'll see little kids playing on it and I'm going, oh geez, be careful. But you, you see the trees that overhang the river there and, and they have icicles on them and, and it just looks picture perfect. It's beautiful. We were never meant to just worship those things. We were meant, those things were meant to point us to worship God. That's what the Bible says, that even nature itself, it should point us to the fact that he's there, the evidence is everywhere, that he is showing us how great and how awesome and how wonderful he is. I drove to Elkhart Lake yesterday to take my kids to a soccer game, and all the leaves were, some of them were just hitting their peak, and I was like, oh man, this is gorgeous. I climbed up in Parnell Tower a couple weeks back and just looked out everywhere. You guys done that this fall yet? Is that just not crazy awesome? You just look out. All those things are beautiful, but guess what they do? They point us to him. They show us how wonderful He is. My relationship with God is more than just what He's done for me. It's all of these things that are pointing me to Him because He really wants me to just want Him. He wants me to want to know Him, to choose Him, to love Him. The disciples didn't spend time with Jesus because He made this great proclamation about how awesome everything was going to be. Hey, come follow me and I'll make you popular and everything's going to be great. Everybody's going to be high-fiving you all the time. It's going to be like one big party if you follow Jesus. You're going to be the cool kids. We're going to have our own clothing line. We're going to have our own, our own jewelry line. And you'll be in the popular club if you follow Jesus. That's not what he said. Actually, Jesus said, if you follow me, it's going to cost you everything. He said, it's going to cost you everything. Actually, people are going to hate you and it's going to be my fault. That's what Jesus said. He said that people are actually going to persecute you and it's going to be because you have chosen to be with me. So why on earth would these men choose to follow Jesus? He's not a very good salesman. He's not promising them anything. Let me tell you why they followed Jesus. When we were created, we were created for relationship with God. We were created to worship God. When man chose not to follow God by choosing to disobey Him in His perfect paradise and in the Garden of Eden, when man chose to disobey God, man rebelled against God, and because of that sin, we were disconnected from God. We were spiritually dead. We were disconnected because of our rebellion, because of our sin. But we were created for relationship. We were created for worship, so something had to be done. So God sent His only Son to die on the cross and He lived this absolute perfect life in every single way from conception all the way until His death. He was perfect in the eyes of God and He took that sin and He crucified it. And He made us right with God through when we begin to trust in Jesus and we begin to say, Jesus, You are the way to God. He said, I am the way to the Father. No man goes to the Father except by Me. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I'm the life. This is it. This is me. I'm him. So here you have man created for relationship. And now we can be reconnected to God and have that relationship through Jesus Christ. But the disciples had God in the flesh standing right in front of them. How crazy is this? I want you to think about this. Every one of us have this emptiness, this void that is searching for significance, that is searching for meaning, that is looking for something that we try to fill with all kinds of stuff. We'll try to get rich and just make a bunch of money. That'll make me happy. If I can have a bunch of money, have a bunch of stuff. 
If I can have this person in my life, I need this person, that'll make me happy. If I have this kind of status in the community, that'll make me happy. If I have this kind of job, if, if, if my kids can accomplish these kinds of feats, then everyone will look at me and go, oh, wow, look at them. They must be some kind of awesome person. And so I'm looking for significance in so many things, and I can't find it because there's this void in all of humanity that can only be filled by God. Because we were created for relationship and worship with Him. And here, is all, here are all of these men, some fishermen, some tax collectors, some money changers. Here are these guys about their daily business, and they are sitting there mending their nets. And they're feeling empty. And they're going, there is more to life than this. I'm not satisfied mending nets. I'm not satisfied with this. There's something missing. And then it walks up to them and says, come follow me. The thing that caused the disciples to follow Jesus wasn't his sales pitch. What he promised them he was going to do. What he could do. What all was going to happen. How they would be rewarded. That wasn't the sales pitch. The thing that made the disciples want to follow Jesus was the thing that they were missing and looking for was standing right in front of them and they recognized it. I don't know what it is about this man, but I feel complete when I'm with him. I feel like something that has been missing in my life has now been satisfied because I'm recognizing there's something different. This man who is God in the flesh is actually physically standing in front of me and he's asking me to follow him. And I'm recognizing that this void in me, that this gap in me is somehow becoming satisfied with him. Not with what he's done, just with him. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? They begin to recognize that this is satisfying me. Just, just being with him, because check this out in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at Mark 3 and verse 14. The Bible says this. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. And then it goes on to list all their names, the, what we know as the twelve disciples. Verse 14 is something that I've preached a lot. I've been preaching since I was 15 years old and I've definitely read this scripture and preached this scripture. But just this past week when I was in study and preparation for this message, I saw something that leaped out of the pages that I never had seen before. Verse 14 says that he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. That they might be with him. That being with Jesus was satisfying something in them that transcended all of the things that he was doing. Matter of fact, it transcended what, what, what he was doing to the fact that when... Jesus came to the hillside and everybody was hungry. There's 5,000 people there. Jesus takes a little boy's lunch. He blesses it. And there's enough food for over 5,000 people that are in attendance. And then these people are following Jesus around because they love what Jesus did for them. They're like, wow, Jesus is doing amazing things for me. And then Jesus turns around and he goes, unless you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And they said, see you later, Jack. They left. Because they were only interested in what Jesus could do. They weren't interested in him. And then Jesus turns around and he looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to go too? And they say, Peter speaks up and he says, where are we going to go? You're what we've been looking for. You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Because we recognize that there's something about you that is satisfying a hole in me. And I need you. And they were willing to stick with Jesus, not because of what he had done, but because of who he was. 
because they knew Jesus beyond simply the miracles that he had performed because they began to follow him before they ever heard of the miracles. They just recognized him. You remember the story about the rich young ruler where this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you've got to follow the commandments. And he said, I have followed the commandments. He said, since my youth. He said, I've done this, this, and this, and this. And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, if you want to be perfect, because that's really what the guy was asking. <laughs> Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy walked away sad. Couldn't do it. Why? Because the stuff had his heart. And he was looking for righteousness through his good works. He was looking for righteousness and acceptance into the family of God through his behavior. And so he said, what am I missing? Because I'm a good guy. And Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, do this. Was Jesus against the guy having things? No, the things had the guy. And he was saying, I'm looking at your heart. I'm after your heart. And the thing that, that blows me away about that story is that the one that held the keys to eternal life, the one who was alive himself was standing right in front of him and he missed it. He didn't recognize it because he was looking to his performance to gain him life. He was looking at his performance or something he could do to gain him significance, not realizing that his creator was standing right in front of him. Does that not blow your mind? <laughs> that there's something in us that if we're not careful, we can miss the fact that Jesus wants us to know him personally. And he could be standing right there at the door. He could be knocking at the door of your heart. He could be saying, let me into your life. Trust in me. Have a relationship with me. And because we're so consumed and so concerned with our own brand of righteousness, we miss him. We miss him. He could be standing right there, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These guys were the, the best of the best when it came to being religious, when it came to being good, moral people. You couldn't find a better moral person than a Pharisee. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And because they had found solace and some sense of satisfaction in their judgmental, pious attitude that looked down on everyone else, they missed the very one that they actually needed that could satisfy their soul. They missed it. They missed him, and he was standing right there. They persecuted him. They chased him out of town. They wanted to crucify him. They led the charge to choose a murderer Barabbas over him. Why? Because they were blinded to the fact that he could satisfy, that he was the one that could actually fill that void, that could fill that hole in us. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Do we know Jesus personally? Seems like a very shallow question that should be easily answered in church. But I, I'm wanting us to take this a step further and say, is Jesus satisfying me? Is my relationship with him satisfaction to that void on the inside of me? Do I know him personally? I read a quote in preparation for this message that I don't even know who this guy is, but this quote just messed up my little world because there's so many things that this applies to, and I want to share it with you. It just pricked my heart. It says this. It says, among Christians, I have discovered something. There's Jesus... And then there are all the things about Jesus that are not Jesus. Jesus himself occupies only a small portion of what is said and done in Christian circles. Most of what is said and done is merely about Jesus, but is not Jesus. I have learned that stress, 
strife, disillusionment, dissatisfaction, bitterness, anger, hurt, misunderstanding, and confusion comes from everything said and done by religious people about the Lord and in the name of the Lord that does not, in fact, have anything to do with Jesus himself. There are so many things that you and I could be tempted to get caught up in that have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And he's saying, I just want you to be satisfied in me because that's the only thing that is going to satisfy is knowing him personally because he is the way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the light. Amen? Amen. And only he can satisfy. Nothing else can satisfy. Uh, I, I heard a guy by the name of Matt Chandler. He said this. He said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He satisfies like nothing else. It's not like I meet Jesus and then I need all of these other things to make me happy and satisfied. No, I need to find my satisfaction in the fact that I know him. That's what the disciples found. That's why they were willing to die for him. Because they were satisfied in knowing him. That's how John, the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, could be exiled to the Isle of Patmos all by himself on this tiny little island for the, to live out the rest of his days and to die. As to where that would freak most of us out, he found satisfaction in knowing Jesus. You see, everything that we've worked so hard to build in this life, everything we've worked so hard to achieve, could be gone in an instant. It could be gone in an instant. And I'm not, I don't say that to strike fear in you. I say that to help us to recognize that everything in this world could be gone in an instant that we've worked so hard to achieve, that we've attached our identity to. And if we have not attached our identity to Christ and that relationship with Him, then we will feel like everything is over for us and there's no reason to live. But yet, if Christ is our hope and if we know Him personally, everything could be crumbling around us and we could still find satisfaction in Christ. We could still find satisfaction in Him. Everybody could be running around the streets freaking out. And we could still have a peace that passes our understanding that guards our hearts and minds through Christ. Because we've learned that He is the only one who can satisfy. Nothing on this earth is going to satisfy you like Jesus. Amen? When you get to heaven... Okay, I grew up in the South. Southern gospel music, okay, is like the thing. Everywhere, in all these older denominational churches and stuff, that you hear the southern gospel. Daddy sang bass, mama sang tenor, right? And, and you hear all these southern gospel songs, and, and I grew up on a lot of these songs where I would hear songs sung about heaven. And, oh, we're going to go walk on streets, go dum 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 and then we'd hear songs about when I get to heaven, I'm going to go meet the Apostle Paul and chat with him. I'm going to high-five Dave and say, way to kill that giant, dude. That was awesome. And I'm going to go meet John and shake his hand. And, and, and I want to go talk to all these famous characters in the Bible. No, you're not. You're not going to care. Okay? You're not going to care. We sing songs about streets of gold. We're going to get to heaven and go, oh, cool, gold. Jesus, that's what I'm after. That's something that's attractive to our flesh. And we go, oh, streets of gold. Ooh, streets of gold. No, Jesus. Streets of gold point me to Jesus. That's all I care about. When I was a kid, me and my buddy thought that when we got to heaven, we were going to live underwater because that was awesome. 
We were going to live underwater because that was going to be our only request when we got to heaven, that we wanted our mansion underwater. And maybe I'll get to live underwater, maybe I won't. But I guarantee you, when I get there and see Jesus, I'm not going to care. Nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else. We wonder, are we going to have this in heaven? Are we going to have that in heaven? You're not going to care. It's not going to matter because the one who satisfies in heaven, the one who is going to bring complete and total satisfaction in heaven, was, is wanting to bring total satisfaction in himself here on earth. That's why the disciples started freaking out when Jesus said he was going away. They're like, no, 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 don't go away. Jesus said, it's actually better that I go away for you. He says, it's actually better. What could be better than having Jesus personally present? Because apart from you, Jesus, there's this hole. Don't you remember the void? Don't you remember how? He said, don't worry. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and he's going to comfort you in my absence. He's actually going to be here, and I'm going to be interceding for you at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you, making sure that you are right in the eyes of God until you see me face to face. Don't worry, though. I'm coming back for you. Don't worry, I'm coming back for you. But in the meantime, it's better for you that I go away because I'm sending my Holy Spirit. And he's actually going to empower you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all throughout the ends of the earth. He said, That's, that, it's actually better. Because now you can have that satisfaction without me physically being here. And you're going to be a part of this group of people that are all going to find satisfaction in me. And we're going to call it the church. And we're going to call this thing my body. And I'm going to be the head of it, but, but you're going to be the body of it. And the thing that you're all going to have in common is that you find satisfaction in me and that I'm enough and that I'm satisfying something on the inside of you that nothing else can. It's not Jesus plus another guy. It's not Jesus plus all these things that I get. If I get Jesus, that's enough. And he told me that if I just seek after him, he'll take care of everything else. He told me that if I'll find satisfaction in knowing him personally, that everything else will be taken care of. Because he said, don't you know that God knows you have need of stuff? Did you know that God knows that you have need of, of, of clothing and food and shelter? Don't you think he knows those things? He said, of course he does. And so if he takes care of birds and if he takes care of flowers and all this stuff, he said, how much more does he love you? You see, I could rest in knowing Jesus personally. I can rest in loving him personally. So just like Jesus sitting around the breakfast table with his disciples, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than stuff? Do you love me more than ministry? Because sometimes we get so focused on this horizontal stuff that's going on that we forget the vertical. We forget that our ministry, first and foremost, is to God. It's love God, love people, and serve the world. Let me say that again. It's love God, then love people. It's our ministry to Him. It's that vertical. It's that relationship with Him that it should be first and foremost. And then everything else begins to fall into place. Everything else begins to come out of that love for Him, out of that relationship with Him. In the book of Acts, in the fourth chapter, and the 13th verse, you have... Peter and John, and they're standing before all these leaders, and, and they look at them and they say, we can tell that these guys that have been preaching and teaching Jesus are uneducated men. Isn't that a compliment? I can tell you're uneducated. 
And that's what those guys said about them. They said, we can tell they're uneducated, but we're marveling because of the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing. And we perceive that these men have been with Jesus. We perceive that these men have been with Jesus. In other words, just being with Jesus brings a level of satisfaction and trust that nothing else can bring. And it gave these men confidence who were uneducated to say and to do things that were beyond their abilities because they weren't taught this. We weren't schooled in this. We didn't learn this. All I know is that they spent time with Jesus. We can tell Something's different about them because they've spent time. The Bible says that they perceived that these men had been with Jesus. Can people simply tell by the way that we treat one another that we've been with Jesus? Can people tell that, you know, that by the way that, that we live our lives that we've been with Jesus? Is there something that is drawing them to Christ in me? You know, we sing about it, and we talk about it, and we teach about it. But sometimes we, we don't live like we know Him. We live like we know a lot about Him, and we know all the right things to say and all the right things to do, but do we live like we know Him? I remember there was a missionary friend of mine, and this guy knew Jesus. Matter of fact, he's one of the missionaries that we as a church support. And when I was meeting with him one day, he was telling me how he was on the streets of Russia and how a man came up to him and they began to have a conversation. And this man said, I've seen a lot of missionaries come to my country. He said, but you're different because the way that you talk and I can see it in your eyes that you know him. You talk like someone who knows Jesus, not just someone who knows a lot about Jesus. You talk like someone who actually knows him. And let me tell you, when he said that that, that, that stuck with me. I want to live my life in a way where I've spent time at the feet of Jesus that other people can perceive that I know him. Where other people can perceive that I've been with him. Amen, somebody? Because knowing Jesus is more important than getting stuff from him. Knowing Jesus is more important than anything we could get from him. That's the goal, is to know him more. The best thing that the disciples got out of Jesus being on this planet, wasn't that they got to witness miracles, wasn't that they got to hear some amazing sermons taught on the side of a mountain, wasn't the fact that they got to be a part of history, the best part of the disciples getting to be with Jesus was just getting to know him. Just getting to know him. That's what changed their lives was them knowing him personally. Because he was filling something in them that was missing. Because knowing Jesus satisfies my soul. Nothing else will satisfy more than knowing Jesus. Amen, somebody? You see, we can be more in love sometimes with our methods and our ministries and our actions and our behaviors than we are with being in love with the man Jesus. And it brings me back to the question. That Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the things I can do for you or the things I have done for you? Do you just love me, Peter? Do you just love me? You see, there is rest. There is rest in relationship with Jesus. 
It takes away all the pressure that we freak out and we wonder, am I doing it right? Am I holding my mouth right? Am I holding my hands right? Is it open finger, closed finger? I've seen some guys do it with a fist, and that was pretty powerful. Is that right? Am I supposed to stand up now? Am I supposed to sit down now? Am I supposed to hold one leg up in the air? What, what is it? Am I supposed to do it right? How, many, how much reading am I supposed to do? How much praying? I, I've got my watch set to end time. Go. And we think that that's relationship with Jesus. That's not relationship. That's religion. And religion is not relationship. Relationship is like Adam walking and talking with God in the cool of the day and being satisfied with him like nothing else recognizing that everything that I have in life, everything that is here, everything I enjoy is meant to point me to how awesome He is. And I go, oh man, aren't you an awesome God? I'm satisfied knowing you. I can lose things. I can lose positions. I can lose status. And I can still be satisfied because I know you personally. You know, like in the Garden of Eden, everything was Everything was perfect in the relationship. And there's this one thing that I've never heard talked about. I've never heard preached, but I'm going to go there this morning. Genesis chapter 2. After God creates man and woman, and he names them, the name Adam, and Adam names his wife Eve. And here they are, and they have perfect relationship with God. And the Bible says this in Genesis 2 and 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now keep your clothes on, because <laughs> you're going to help everybody out if you do that. Not talking about being physically naked, but they were. They were physically naked, and here's the thing. They weren't ashamed. They weren't ashamed in their relationship with God being physically naked. They knew that God loved them and accepted them right where they were. And they loved Him. And so there was no shame involved in their nakedness because they were in this perfect relationship with Him. Now, a lot of us are okay with knowing that God sees our heart and God sees through all of our junk. We get that. No matter how many clothes we put on, no matter how many masks we wear, we've all heard those sermons and we've all felt weird after we heard them because we feel bad because I'm hiding behind a mask and God sees my heart and He sees who I am. And we're like, oh no, I'm really in big trouble because of that. And we've all heard those messages and I preach those messages because we hide behind that stuff, and, but we're okay with that. We're okay with knowing God can see our heart. But what we're not okay with is that we may know He sees us, but we're full of shame. We're full of shame. We're full of guilt because we think, how could God love me? Doesn't He know who I am? Doesn't He know what I've done? So we understand we're naked, but we're very much ashamed. Let me help you with something today. This is where the hope comes in. When you personally know Jesus Christ, when you have that personal relationship with Him, when you have connected your life in such a way that He is satisfying your soul, your relationship with God is now intact, just as it was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. A perfect connection. Not because you earned it or you did it, but Jesus did it. 
Jesus made the connection. He's the one making intercession for us. He's the one that opened up the way to where now we can have right standing and right relationship with God. Not because of you. And so it's just as like we were in the Garden of Eden. But now God is saying, I want you to identify with Christ instead of identifying with your shame so you can be naked before God and unashamed just as Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Just so you can be, your heart, you're okay with being naked, but you're shamed. You're so ashamed of your past, your mistakes, your failures, your shortcomings, everything everyone's ever said about you. You're very much shamed, and you're very much in bondage over your shame. Well, let me tell you something. Romans 8 and 1 said that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You can be naked before God and unashamed. You don't have to live the rest of your life in shame and bondage to your past. You need to rest in knowing that Jesus is enough. You need to rest in the fact that knowing Him is what makes me right with God. That He's enough. He brings satisfaction. He brings restoration. He brings healing. He helps me to identify with Him by understanding He took my sin and He nailed it to the cross. Understanding that he took my shame and he nailed it to the cross. Not that I'm still living the rest of my life naked and ashamed before a holy God. Because he is holy and he said, be holy as I am holy. There is no other way you can be holy before the Lord within yourself. The only way that you could ever be holy is through Jesus Christ and he did it. Amen? He did it. He did it. He was the holiest of the holiest that ever walked the face of this earth. And he took your sin and he took your shame. Peter, do you love me more than these? You see, rest in knowing Jesus brings satisfaction to my soul. I get to breathe. I get to rest. I get to know that that thing I've been searching for, that void that's on the inside of me that nothing else can fill. I may feel a little bit of satisfaction in that promotion or in that new car or, or, or in that new house or, or, or in that new big screen TV that I bought. I may feel a little bit of satisfaction for a moment, but then I'm empty again. I may feel satisfaction in the fact that my boss told me I did a good job, but then I'm left still longing and, 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 and needy. I feel good in the fact that I'm, I landed that big sale. And that feels good and satisfactory for a moment. But then at the end of the day, when that feeling leaves me, I'm empty. And we, leave, we live our entire lives chasing after feelings that we think will bring satisfaction, but they never last. The only thing that can bring lasting satisfaction is rest in knowing that Jesus is enough. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That Jesus is enough right where I'm at. And he wants you right where you are. He wants you right where you are. And he accepts you right where you are. Doesn't that blow your mind? You almost kind of want to be like, Jesus, you must not have been paying attention. (laughs) If you love me just as I am, if you accept me just where I am, right here, right now, you must not have been paying attention. Do you remember the story about the prodigal son? 
who basically spits in his father's face, runs off with his inheritance before his father had passed away, blows it all on prodigal living, sleeping around, doing whatever he wants to do, blows it all, gets all of his money just completely gone, and then he's face first in a hog trough. And he's dirty and stinky, and nobody wants to be his friend anymore. He's all alone. And then he thinks that maybe if I go back to my dad's house, I can be a servant, and maybe he won't kill me. Maybe I can somehow repay him for all the money that I blew. And so he begins to approach his father's house. And what does the father do? He runs and embraces his son and says, put a robe on his back, put a ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf. My son, who we thought was dead, is here. He's alive. He's back. He accepted him right as he was. He didn't say, go get him cleaned up first, then we'll put a robe on him. He said, no, put a robe on him right in the middle of his funkiness. Because you hang out with pigs, you're going to be funky. You're going to be stanky, okay? You hearing me? You're going to be stanky. And he said, put a robe on his back. Well, wouldn't that ruin the robe? Who cares about the robe? This is my son. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of God. So God knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly what you're doing. He knows exactly the things that you struggle with and deal with. And guess what? He accepts you as his child right where you are. He doesn't want those things to dominate your life and to ruin your life because it will make life here miserable and it will make life a constant struggle. He doesn't want you to be caught up in chains of addiction and chains of sin. He doesn't want those things, but that doesn't make you any less the fact that you are his child and he loves you right where you're at. You know what? I love you even though I don't love what you do. I still love you and I still accept you right where you're at. Won't you trust me with that? Won't you trust me with that? Won't you come and get to know me? Won't you just fall in love with me? And then all of a sudden, you know what happens when we begin to fall in love with God, when we begin to get to know him personally? Same thing that happened to Mary Magdalene. You remember Mary? Mary, she, she, was, this, uh, she was this prostitute who had been looking for satisfaction from the love of men or from her love of money, so she would sell herself in order to get money. That's how prostitution works. She would go out there and do that. And she sits at the feet of Jesus. She breaks open a bottle of perfume and begins to wipe it away with her hair. Why? Why? Because when you sit at his feet and you know him personally, guess what? It's going to drive you to worship him. You're going to be so in awe. You're not going to know what else to do. I got, I got nothing. I'm so satisfied right now in you, Jesus. All I want to do is worship you. Somebody hand me that expensive perfume. Disciples want to get mad about it. They want to get off. We could have sold that and given that money to the poor. Jesus said, you don't even understand what this woman's doing. This woman has found satisfaction in knowing me. And because she found satisfaction in knowing me, it drove her to worship because we were created to worship. She did what she was created to do because she found Jesus being enough and he hadn't done anything for her at that point. It'd be different if Jesus would have given her some money, you know, tipped her, you know, thanks for the odd foot washing with your hair. That, that was cool. Here's some money. But he didn't do that. He just sat there and let her worship him because he knew she had found completion in him. He knew that she had found satisfaction. She sat at his feet. Remember, 
Mary and Martha, when, when, when Mary's sitting there at, at, at Jesus' feet, and Martha's all busy. She's all cleaning the house and freaking out and trying to get everything ready, trying to serve the people. She's getting all mad at Mary. She says, I'm mad. Why isn't she doing this? She said, Jesus said, hey, Mary's actually chosen the better thing. She's actually chosen the better thing to sit at my feet because she's finding satisfaction in me. She's finding that I'm enough. She's finding that I'm enough. And there's no form. There's no religion. There's no one thing that you can do to get it, to attain it. We just have to be like Peter, sitting there eating breakfast with Jesus. And we have to answer the question, do I love Jesus more than these? Do I find satisfaction in my soul, in my relationship with him, more than anything else? And if the answer is no, then I'm looking to something else to give me some sort of satisfaction other than him. I say, Jesus, I want to be completely satisfied in you that you're enough, that if everything fails, that if everything falls, if I get exiled like John to the Isle of Patmos, everybody forgets my name. Nobody knows me. My name's not in the lights. Nobody cares that Jesus is still enough. If I'm all alone, that I'm still not alone because you're with me. Amen? That Jesus, you're still enough. You know, here, here's the thing. I want to ask you this. And I want you to bow your head. And I want you to, to think about this for a moment. Don't check out on me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.